following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square. Tonight, we're also being simulcast on our sister radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. And tonight, as always, politics, as is our usual one. And tonight, in two parts, first up tonight, an old friend, one of my favorite guests, uh, BNN analyst, uh, former President and CEO of the Urban League of Eastern Mass, Darnell Williams joins us. We'll talk, uh, well, uh, national, state, local politics. Then in the second half, we'll shift gears a bit, just a bit. And joining me, one of the newest members of the Boston City Council. She was first elected in a special election last summer and re-elected this fall to a full two-year term. Sharon Durkin joins us from District 8. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, uh, all politics, as is our usual want. And who better to join me in this first half than uh, uh, an old friend, a long time, uh, he's uh, helped us uh, with much of our election coverage over the years as a BNN analyst. And you recognize him as the former president and CEO of the Urban League of Eastern Mass, uh, Darnell Williams joins us. Nice to have you here. Thank you, Jim. As always, you're looking good, brother. You're looking good, my friend. Well, thank you as well, my friend. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. And Thank you. Same to you and the BNN staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Behind the cameras. These folks are great here. I'm just along for the ride, believe me, thankfully. Uh, let's let's talk uh, national politics first, because you, uh, you you get your ear to the ground as as uh, mm. much as anybody I know, and uh, of course the uh, New Hampshire primary just just ended. Uh, 
Uh, should we be have been surprised by the result? Donald Trump uh, uh, winning easily, uh, Joe Biden uh, winning as a write-in candidate. But, I think uh, that was amazing that President uh, Biden and his team of folks have uh, structured a write-in campaign. Write-in campaigns are not easy. And, um, but the results in New Hampshire are really no surprise, but it's really just telling that in spite of all the legal challenges that the former president is engulfed with, he's in court today dealing yeah. with his defamation yeah. um, um, uh, trial. And uh, really, I think it's just trying to settle how much money is going to be his damages, not so much. Because yeah. I think the guild has already been, right. no, allegedly his guilt has been determined. Well, I, yeah, I, I, and, and in an earlier trial, yes, uh, sexual assault. Sexual assault, and so the key is that, but in spite of that, somehow or another, there's a gravitational mm -hmm. pull for those that live in New Hampshire who voted in the Republican primary. Um, DeSantis dropped out. Um, and that Probably was kind of like Trump. Yeah, yeah, and he endorsed Trump. Uh, Tim Scott uh, endorsed Trump, and so that was uh, he reminded me of um, whom Nikki no, no. Haley appointed to the Senate <laughs> she when, when she was governor. She appointed him. She was governor, and then also he reminded me of Chris Christie uh, when he was there endorsing Trump back in 2015. Yeah. I think yeah. it was. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. 2016. Well, yeah. around it was in that time frame. Right. But he was standing there behind the president at the same time, and then yeah. he ended up becoming his archer's enemy. Yeah. So it's just some interesting bedfellows yeah. that are now um, bubbling to the top. But it's just really surprising that the electorate still are putting their faith behind someone who is still somewhat divisive. Uh, he's looking for retribution. He wants to... Uh, Kill people or yeah, promise to be a dictator, a dictator for one for day. One day. <laughs> I mean, but those are some very, very strange uh, utterings. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're, they're yeah. still loyal to yeah, him. And yeah. I just, <clears throat> for the life I, of me, it just uh, baffles me. Yeah. How could you? Well, I think you're not alone. Uh, I, and in many ways, uh, hasn't it, uh, the results uh, kind of uh, solidified what uh, a lot, many voters have said they feared, which is a rematch. Uh, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. One of, one of the things that I liked in the last 48-hour news cycles where Nikki Haley said, there's two states who have participated. We got 48 more states. <laughs> <laughs> so don't count me out, yeah. and let's see what happens in these other 48 yeah. states. And so that's, you know, South Carolina is next on the queue. I think she will be hard-pressed. I mean, all of the polls... And I'm not a fan of the polls because they have been so they've been blatant. Wrong they've been, no, they've been blatantly been wrong. wrong. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that we have to be conscious that who are they polling? Who are they talking mm -hmm. to? And so, therefore, the numbers seem to be totally skewed or whacked and doesn't reflect. So the margin of, error, uh, the margin of victory was real thin for him in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So he didn't win a landslide, but he did win convincingly but his percentage of numbers and the number of Republicans who support it and the number of independents that didn't necessarily cross over to him, mm -hmm. they supported him. And, and that may be a sign. Of course, uh, uh, you know, the Biden campaign seems to have shifted into gear in terms of uh, anticipating that, in fact, uh, Donald Trump will be the, the Republican nominee and that... Uh, uh, 
and of course, many Republican politicians have since the primary uh, pledged their support for Donald Trump, which is including several who said they would not previously, and uh, go figure. But uh, uh, talk a little bit about that, about the uh, uh, apprehension, I think, uh, about the, the rematch uh, between two, well, uh, you know, Trump isn't, isn't uh, 80 yet, but, uh, and, and, and Biden is, but he's not far behind. Uh, you've been traveling the country over the yes. last uh, couple of years here, and, and what's your sense out there? How are people feeling about that? Well, I think the key is that, you know, you're going to have a, you will have uh, what I would consider a range of voices that are chiming in that, um, Biden is too old. Um, but if you look at the accomplishments that President Biden has been able to amass in terms of infrastructure, very, very impressive um, uh, union, um, UAW endorsement mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, the infrastructure bills, the things that they're doing, the economy is, is truly uh, on track, the highest rating. Mm -hmm. The Wall Street Journal has already reported out that the economy is doing better. We, they were telling us less than six to eight months ago that we were heading for a recession. recession. yeah, And it did not materialize. And so the lowest job uh, reports in over 30, 40 years is, is there. So there's a robust nature. So is the age really uh, the red herring in mm -hmm. this conversation? Because it doesn't appear to be sticky. Well, the, the Democrats need to do a better job in their marketing of their message. Mm -hmm. That's one. The two, having the, the weariness of both of them coming at it again, well, the people are very articulating that Trump has lost in 2018, mm -hmm. 20, 22, or 23. And so what's going to be different? I think that the, the more pertinent issues are the abortion issue, the border issue, which has got the Senate and the House holding back. They don't want to see any gains made on solving the border issue mm -hmm because they don't want that win to go into Biden's column. Right. So what about the American people and what we're trying to do to stop the humanitarian mm -hmm. uh, re response? So all of those things are in play. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's just age versus age. Mm -hmm. It's really policy versus who supports the Constitution, who supports mm -hmm. the democracy, who is going to be someone that you can trust what comes out of their mm -hmm. mouth and whether or not that they're going to be in, on behalf of the American people. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the pundits are suggesting, uh, and in, in, in fact, uh, Biden uh, only won by well, less than 100,000 votes uh, mm -hmm. uh, when you consider the Electoral College, the uh, battleground states, uh, uh, a half dozen of which he won by uh, you know, less, you know, sometimes 10,000, sometimes 20 or 30,000, but so let me he just won. Say, let, me he just won. Say, let me say this to you. I'm a golfer. Yeah. All you have to do is win by one stroke. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And, and, and that may be what they're hoping for. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, as I, as I love to do, but uh, uh, looking at the polls now, and again, they've been wrong in the past, but are showing Trump beating Biden in these battleground states, almost all of them, except for, I think, Pennsylvania. But uh, 
of the six uh, battleground states that have been kind of. So you talking um, you talk about Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably Ohio's got to be in that mix. Uh, I no? don't. I don't even think we consider Ohio anymore. Mm -hmm. I think they're talking about Arizona. Okay. Uh, Georgia and North Carolina are the okay. others that they uh, well, include I think that in that. Each and, each one of those uh, those uh, electoral areas. We know that Georgia had some issues in terms of, if you look at what uh, the Trump administration has, mm -hmm. uh, or the, the president, former President Trump, the areas where they had challenged the votes and the validity of the votes were in those cities or those states where there was a sizable population of color. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at um, uh, Arizona, if you look at um, uh, Georgia, if you look at, uh, I, think, I think Michigan was in that mix. Yep. And so if you look at the, the areas that there was a sizable population of minority voters, those are the areas that they tried to float the idea that there was a lot of mm -hmm. mis, uh, misgivings or improper votes. And I think there were some 60-some-odd cases that had been tried in the courts. And even some of his own staffers told him that there was no um, bad election. Right. There was no fraud detected. Yep. But yet he still chose to go down that path and putting doubt in terms of, but it was no doubt when he won. It was only a doubt when, <laughs> when, he, when, he, lost. when he lost. We're talking about and Trump, so of course. so him and his acolytes, they all are saying yeah. the same kind of thing. But, and, and the reason I'm, I'm asking about this is, and I'm focusing more on Biden in, in this instance, one, uh, you know, again, these national polls are showing uh, people very concerned. Uh, his age is an issue. Rightly or wrongly, mm -hmm. um, but, I think it's wrongly. But, but, but that's but, me. But also, you know, uh, on some other issues like uh, even immigration, he's under a lot of pressure. Like governors of I think nine different states where Democrats uh, are in power have uh, written to him asking him to uh, be more aggressive take, on the be border. more aggressive, take action. The numbers in crossing the border from Mexico are you know way up. And, uh, and I, you know, I think he's trying to thread a needle on that. And, of course, you know, he's not getting any help from the Congress, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, well, it's, it's also but, interesting. I think it's probably, probably material for but, your but, listeners. But, but put it in this context, and uh, is chipping away. Young people uh, shown overwhelmingly, uh, you know, seem to indicate are, are wary of, of Biden another term. Uh, and and now you know uh, be, the impact of uh, immigration on you know and take your pick. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, uh, leaders in uh, Chicago uh, uh, of uh, civil rights leader was uh, critical of of Biden's actions or lack of action and, and the whole immigration. That the, the city, their cities are being flooded uh, with. The, I think that that's, that was the point that yeah. I was going to raise. Yeah. Is but you got to remember, it's really the Republican governors that are uh, shipping, putting those folks who are coming into the United States and putting them on yep. buses or putting them on planes, planes. Yeah. and they're shipping them to these uh, sanctuary cities that are really strained financially mm -hmm. for having to respond to the immigration policies. And so when you have the Senate with a bipartisan bill poised to move forward, and yet yet those voices that are stridently with, um, with Trump are holding it back, 
rather than, rather than moving it forward so that if it falls into the win column of uh, President yeah. Biden and yeah. uh, pres uh, Vice President Harris, then they are, seem like they don't want that to happen mm. on the watch. It's just yeah. like a Supreme Court right. uh, position opening up. They will delay it so that they will be in position so that they can make the appointment right. rather than have it do uh, like it was before. So Obama had to go through it in terms of his time for his appointment. Mm -hmm. So there are some brinksmanship games that are being played in the House and the Senate as it relates to the immigration bill. The economy is robust and doing quite well. Mm -hmm. It's baffling to me that the younger audience, Generation Z, that they are not embracing in terms of the erasing of the uh, elimination of the um, college uh, college debt, student, debt, student yep. Uh, tuition. Yep. Yep. There are so many things that are happening in their favor that is trying to, in the administration. So it's a very dicey yep. situation where the, all the things that they're doing, I just think that they're doing, they're doing a, not a mediocre, but they're not doing a better mm -hmm. job in getting the message out of the things that they have done right. on behalf of the American people. I well, think they're they, starting they, to. They've got some time they, to do it. You're, right. I, I, fair to say you're a Biden supporter. Uh, I, I, I think that it, it's, a, you know, I, um, due to the uh, private nature of my role, I'm always going to be standing with the winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that said, that said, uh, there's a lot of people that are afraid that, Trump is going to win, and yeah. and you chip away, you, you lose some some young people. That's the same thing they said about vote. some some uh, he loses some uh, as a result of the whole immigration I think thing. The, the thing is uh, that the, the Latino the vote is questioned. Thing. The young people yeah. are questioned, but there's time yeah. for to get the advocates out there mm -hmm. to do. It's basically yeah. going to come out to the foot race. Who gets the number of people out, and that's going to be able to pull the lever. For those, mm -hmm. I think that the biggest thing that we're underestimating are the number of women that will be out there voting because of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. That's still such a huge magnitude of an issue in terms of voting block. And so I think that, you know, the older voters, the people who just don't want chaos mm -hmm. every day, what's going to come out of this person's mouth today, tomorrow? What's going to be tweeted that will be offensive to everybody on the planet? Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're talking about our delicate relationship between our support for Ukraine, if you take a look at what's going on in Israel and Hamas, and, and, and if you look at mm -hmm. what is happening in, uh, in, the, uh, in Yemen and the uh, expanded uh, coalition that is, is taking out right. those individuals who are shipping, uh, are impacting militarily the shipping lanes over there in the Red mm -hmm. Sea. So these are some very, very serious military confrontations across the globe. And what would the last thing we do? We need to do not be able to support a Putin and these dictators around the world who want to be expansion in their efforts that need to have a, or even expansion of NATO. So we, we have some heavy responsibilities we do. that we need to deal yeah. with, and we don't need somebody that's going to be chaotic. Yet uh, Donald Trump seems to double down on you know, making these uh, outrageous statements and, and claims can, and so are on they and so credible? forth. Are they credible can, statements? Well, I, I don't know. Can he get away with it? Well, he, I, he already has. Yeah, you said you were earlier, you were baffled by it. You're not alone. But it, when, uh, who, I mean, who, who, uh, who would, listen, I, one of the biggest things as a veteran, I, when he was president, 
he refused to walk across the bridge or have him drive across the bridge and place the wreath on the soldier, the unknown soldier. That's a tradition that should never, ever be violated. Mm -hmm. He talks about what he's done for veterans, but the track record is nil mm -hmm. and void. How he treated gold star mothers. How he talked about, mm -hmm. I were to support somebody that was not wounded or captured when he talked about Senator John McCain. These are real legitimate mm -hmm. heroes who served our nation, something that he's never done. And his respect for veterans to me is just, he crossed the line on that. Well, and, and I wouldn't disagree with you. As a matter of fact, I, I completely agree with you. Yet, uh, he has shown incredible support, amounts of support. And uh, I know it's, uh, within it's, the Republican Party and certainly uh, in many states. And now it may not be all the states, but in, in many states. And that's a, so. Uh, what country will you be moving to if he gets I won't elected? <laughs> I took an oath, oath but... of office to serve the country, to yeah. defend it against yeah. uh, foreign and yeah. domestic enemies. And uh, there are not too many oaths that I can say that is still alive in effect. So uh, you can't I don't move. mean to make light of that. No, no, you're not. You're not. Yeah. I, I'm not taking it that way. Yeah. I think regardless of the outcome, you're still going to hear, you're going to support the United States, we're going to support the democracy as we know mm -hmm. it, and we will fight. I'm a civil rights person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, th we've been here before. Yes, you, you know. Have. So th this is not something that you roll out no. of bed and think is going to be. We thought that we had arrived. Mm -hmm. We thought we had a, we had resolved these problems. We see the retrenchment right. by the Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act. We saw Roe versus Wade being reversed. So nothing is guaranteed just because That's it what you passed. Find out, right? One day does not mean it's going to come not come back to haunt us. Well, we shall see uh, as the year progresses. Uh, although it's, I think it's fair to say this is going to be a very interesting uh, uh, election year, uh, to say the least. And, uh, and we're just getting started. And, and South Carolina is just, just getting up. started. And uh, it may be that, uh, uh, you know, the general election starts early. Uh, could be as early as Super Tuesday. Uh, you know, that that's in it's, March. It's I think that's March. Uh, March 5th, I believe it is. So including uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts voting. We're voting part of there. that. All right. We've got just a few minutes left. And I, sure. I, I, I got to ask you about, I, uh, did you watch... Uh, the governor's state of the state, oh, uh, state of the Commonwealth, and uh, uh, how'd she do? How is she doing? Uh, you know, she put some fairly bold uh, initiatives out there, certainly around housing. Um, uh, she's not going to have as much money as uh, as they might have thought initially. And uh, yeah, the, the, I think the money uh, train is uh, gave everybody a surprise on that, especially on Lida, on the heels of the. Um, uh, tax cuts that they gave to the Commonwealth and Terry. So that's really welcome. I think what they're going to have to do is that, and you got folks up on um, Beacon Hill who want to protect that rainy day fund yeah. like, yes. like it's their rainy day fund. Yes. <laughs> but I think to answer your question, I think the governor is doing a phenomenal job. Yeah. And I think that she's being very progressive. We have the highest uh, housing stock in the country in terms yeah. of our ability for young people who are moving back home, can't afford to buy. Right. The price of the homes are high. Right. Interest rates were up. We're waiting right. for the feds. They're waiting the for the, the feds. They said they're going to make three to four cuts this year. They can't come soon enough because that market is, is real tight, that cost of housing. And plus there's the inflation and the cost of the housing. So, so all of those things combined, it's a convergence of a great storm. So to navigate those, those, those headwinds, mm -hmm. I think that her, uh, the... Uh, the Healy uh, Trisco administration 
are doing a phenomenal job. Well, uh, you know, included uh, in that is uh, some additional funding for the MBTA, and it sounds yes. like they're going to need it because uh, the latest estimate uh, that I have read is that uh, uh, they might need, the MBTA might need as much as a billion more. Well, you're talking um, operationally. Overall, right. the, there, there is a, what they call a capital investment right. plan, and they did an assessment of everything. I think it's $24.5 billion. Right. I was going to say 20, $25 billion for yeah, $25 capital. billion dollars and to put it back. And I think what you need to know, what I know mm -hmm. from what I see and what I read, that the folks are, that are proud of trying to make sure that their, their rides are safe, mm -hmm. um, the individuals that are working that are trying to make sure that that they, um, the widening of the tracks are fixed in, in, a, in a very short period mm -hmm. of time so it can eliminate those slow, down, slow zones. I think that at the end of the day, they are working very hard every day to make sure that you have a reliable and a safe and affordable uh, transportation system throughout the Commonwealth. So that's what the governor and that's what the individuals responsible for, that's what they're doing. And I think that I, I believe in that leadership that they are going to get it done. Well, certainly, uh, Democrats uh, retain control of uh, the legislature, and uh, um, so uh, it would be very interesting. But the uh, revenue estimates uh, are down, and that's on top of uh, uh, there was a required tax cut that was uh, required, and also, of course, uh, uh, we received a tremendous amount of federal money that yes. will not be there uh, going forward. So. Uh, uh, some cuts that may be in place, and uh, uh, that could put some additional pressure on the governor. Well, I think the key is that if we are able, as the Commonwealth, to deal with all of these heads, we've been here before, mm -hmm. 1972 and 1980, we've 1990, had... Yeah. 1990, 1990, yeah. So this, this is not our first rodeo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. we have some smart people yeah. who are financial wizards, our bond rating is still solid, and th therefore we. And as you said, we, we have a rainy day fund that's. Uh, yeah, if we need to, and I think that uh, the president of the Senate and uh, Speaker of the House, yeah. the members, the, the 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 chair of the House, and uh, Senate Ways and Means, they will get mm -hmm. in the room and they will figure it out what we need to do mm -hmm. to keep Massachusetts solid on solid footing. Yeah. So I, I I mean if they like I said this is not our first rodeo. Right. And election year for lawmakers, at least, not the governor. But uh, so uh, it should be an interesting challenge uh, how they balance their priorities. Uh, we've got just a few minutes left. I got to yes, ask sir. you about uh, you know, local politics here. Uh, oh, I, know. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, last week we had the new uh, uh, president of the Boston City Council here. Yeah, uh, she needs to be congratulated uh, yes, on her. Yes, she ascension. does. Uh, tremendous. Uh, uh, and kind of navigating that uh, uh, political maze, so to speak, or whatever, uh, wasn't a good year for the council. A lot of controversy. Uh, now they've got four new. There are a lot of rookie moves, right. and there are a lot of rookie moves. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, mistakes that they yeah. made. The biggest one that I think, from my vantage point, looking in, is that the rejection of the money that they did relating to the uh, infrastructure piece in terms of the thirteen million. Dollar that's right, going to other. for the uh, uh, BPD intelligence. Uh, right, that, right. Uh, yeah, a very interesting and interesting. Well, it's not just our city. It's like six other cities yep. that are also were impacted. I think, and I don't know all of the, the uh, rationale behind their 
projection. And what I do know is that they felt that there were some questions that needed to be addressed that were not. But I think that you support the funding rather than lose the funding. Right. If you got money coming from the feds, take it. Right. And you can iron out the, the, the implementation right. over time as opposed to rejecting it. But the, the biggest, uh, I think, uh, uh, slight uh, or mark uh, against the council last year is the, uh, the controversy. It was, you know, it was the reason was, I guess, over redistricting, but it got rather nasty, including mm -hmm. some charges yeah. of, of racism and then, you know, uh, what religion people were, and it uh, really got down and dirty. Can can uh, Ruthie, uh, Ruthie uh, tame the beast, uh, in your opinion? Uh, well, she, and what, what's the key to that? Uh, well, the key is, is that you're absolutely right. It, it was messy. Yeah. It was there messy. You you're being kind. But <laughs> <laughs> it was messy. It was not our finest hour in terms of our city council portraying the, the statesmanship and representing all the Bostonians that live in the city and love our city. Um, we need to do better when they got public officials, whether it's their personal lives when they spill over um, in terms of uh, what they're doing. You're conducting the public's business. So you need to be above. You, we hold you to a higher standard. Right. We're looking for you to take the high take road. Care. You got to take the high road, and you need to be classy at all times. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to see messy mm -hmm. anymore. People making just ill-fated decisions that not only to impact the people in your district, but we, we get a very, very. Um, uh, I won't call it a black eye because I don't want to yeah, use well, that out of term. But <laughs> you get, I think it just gives us a very tainted eye um, in terms of our ability to effectively govern right. at the municipal level. Right. And we're better than that. Right. And there used to be a time that there was a high water benchmark standard, and they need to get back right. to that. And we were better than that. Uh, I can't let you go without asking about uh, Mayor Wu. Uh, how is she doing in your opinion? I think she's, she's tried to kind of navigate between, you know, the council was really very progressive on, on many issues, <laughs> and she's... I think uh, counts herself uh, among those. I, I, I uh, think when she was running for mayor, she came out of the council. She had a progressive agenda, and it's one thing to be progressive when you're running for the office. It's another thing to be progressive while you're in the seat. Right. And so the balance between that, but I think that she has been striking on all of the issues yeah. of what she said she was going to do. Now you may have a very very clear mandate in your mind of how you're going to get it done. But then you got to work with the business community. You got to work with the residents. You got to work with the, the council. Right. And there, there's what thirteen different opinions mm -hmm. on how we should yeah. get it done. And I think that you know it's not an easy job. Yeah. And then you got That's people a, dropping nuggets really tough, that she's going to leave uh, to go to Harvard. <laughs> she had to put that to bed. And then you got the protesters yeah. at her house that, that she had to change the. Is she, she vulnerable fine. in any way, though? You think? Uh, you know, some talk years. of uh, yeah, various people. Uh, uh, it's, she's still uh, two years away. She's so two, we're, it's two years away. I think that she has done a commendable job, yeah. um, and I believe that um, it would be you'll be hard pressed to say it's time to change the rider on the horse to say that we're going to go in a different yeah. direction. Yeah. Unless somebody comes up with a compelling message of what that direction is, I think that she will be reelected. Yeah. Okay, uh, Darnell Williams, uh, as always, uh, love okay. to, <laughs> to have his uh, you, opinions friend. and Thank his you, thoughts uh, uh, as we enter 2024, a, a, a very important political year 
nationally uh, and also on the state and local level. And uh, thank you, my friend, for coming in. And I hope I'm back here after Super Tuesday. Oh, yes. we'll I, I hope it. so, too. You know? <laughs> uh, when we come back with more of Talk to the Neighborhoods, well, we'll, we'll stick with politics, uh, this time on the local level, joining us uh, one of the newest members of the Boston City Council, not the newest, but uh, she was elected uh, in a special election last summer and then re-elected uh, this fall to a full two-year term. Uh, Sharon Durkin, the uh, District 8 City Councilor, joins us and we'll talk with her. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Powerful voices from Boston Arts Academy set the tone of the 54th annual Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Breakfast. The anticipated morning reunited faith leaders, politicians, educators, community leaders and students at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center to hold space for Dr. King and his resounding message. I think the significance of honoring Dr. King is important because of his life, his work, his ministry, there are so many things that he advocated for beyond just a utopian society where black and white could live together, but he really spoke to some of the deep injustices that were rooted in this nation and trying to undo those injustices and playing on the moral fabric of this country. It's so important as we continue, you know, to recognize and to uplift Dr. King's legacy. I mean, he is a person who really talked about all of us, right? No matter your background, no matter your economic um, structures that you come from, that in the end, if we're going to lift everyone, then we all have to care about each other and really showing empathy. And I think that is what we need more than ever at this point. The city's diverse youth led the way with talent and academic achievement, which was recognized in several awards and scholarship presentations throughout the morning. As guests meditated on our nation's climate, marked by growing violence, intolerance, and political division, they felt the weight of Dr. King's example in renewing his dream for our times. In this day and age, it is so important that we embrace what Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement brought to us, because it, it was an attempt, and a good one in that, to bring us closer together. We're polarized. We're at each other's throats. And it seems that there doesn't seem to be any bottom to this. But what, what Dr. King was preaching and what he was using as part of his ministry and work is something that is tried and true. And it will definitely resolve the issues in front of us. The legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King is one in which it not only unites people individually, but also communally. As a person of faith, he went beyond the simple day-to-day -day rules and regulations, but also brought together the people within different cities, particularly in the city of Boston. And we're trying right now in order to further his legacy and continue that, that not only a struggle, but also the right way. Everyone has the needs to determine you know, what's their mission in life. Uh, it'd be just wonderful if more of us understood that we need to work and make sacrifices for others in order to make sure that equality happens around the world and in our country. Martin Luther King understood that and very early on concentrated his efforts in making sure that life was better for all. A fire underscored speakers' words as they considered the year's theme, keeping the promise of democracy. 
in what many see as a pivotal election year for the United States. People very often will be laudatory about the fact that black folks will wait in line for hours to cast a ballot and that we have outworked and outorganized voter suppression. Resilience, black resilience, is overrated. It should not be that way. All around us, we have sobering evidence that gains are not guaranteed. We need to reflect on our past, revisit King's blueprint for radical change, and fortify ourselves for the urgent fights ahead. This is no easy task, but it is an imperative for us all. Dr. King reminds us that we must be inspired by progress, even as we recognize its incompleteness. We can bend the arc every day towards justice, but all of our hands have to be on it. Dr. King's call is more than a call to action. It is a call for an unbreakable solidarity, recognizing that all of our destinies are woven together. Today and every day going forward, we must embody this call with our actions, this crescendo urging us to be drum majors for justice, who march boldly into a future where beloved community is not an illusion, but a tangible and daily reality. Dr. King's beloved community requires the work and vigilance of all of us. Although there are new hills to climb in 2024, we must persist. for which people can interact with art, um, can experience coming together as a, a means of convening and um, of, of respite, of being able to have their minds um, expanded through a variety of different art forms. So the Boston City Singers will be performing here at the museum um, and they will be performing a repertoire called Freedom and so they'll be using inspiration from Dr. King to be able to um, sing about his legacy and um, I think for the city of Boston but also for our country the legacy of Dr. King um, needs to live on. I think the a uh, legacy of advocacy, of um, celebration about identity, about freedom. All of those aspects are things that we as a society need to continue to remind ourselves and to, uh, to celebrate. I think also his passion for the arts is something that um, needs to live on as well, and so we celebrate that here at the Museum of Fine Arts. Mayor Michelle Wu delivered the State of the City Address at the MGM Music Hall in Fenway, where she highlighted all that Boston has accomplished in 2023. The world needs the proof that Boston provides, that we can create a community where every family finds joy and belonging, that we can kindle a brighter future if we refuse to give up. So every day in Boston, we go to work chipping away at the challenges that stand in our way. 
And every day, our progress invites the world to join us in breaking new ground. The Boston City Mayor touched on the many achievements made in the past year, from improvements in the opioid and homeless crises to the increase of green energy efficiency in new buildings, as well as more affordable housing and protection for families from rent increases. As cities everywhere grapple with the opioid crisis and homelessness, Boston has refused to give up on health and stability. Person by of course, that was uh, Mayor Michelle Wu and her uh, uh, State of the City speech, I guess for lack of a better word, the start of a new term, swearing in the new Boston City Council for uh, the latest term that was uh, on New Year's Day. And uh, I'm pleased to have joining me now one of those she swore in that day. She's not the newest Boston City Councilor, but she is uh, among the newer, and she won a special election last summer and then easily won re-election in the fall to a full two-year term uh, representing District 8. Uh, and that's, uh, let's see, Back Bay, Beacon Hill, Mission Hill, Fenway. You're missing um, West End. West End. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And I'm talking about Sharon Durkin. And nice to have you here. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. Thanks so much for coming in It's tonight. nice to be back yeah, yeah. as an elected official. Yeah, yes, I was going <laughs> to say. You worked many years behind the scenes, uh, and now you're uh, out front. And uh, so how are you feeling? Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk since... Uh, you were running in the special election for the seat that Kenzie Bach gave up to become BHA administrator. And uh, how are you feeling about this? Uh, the job feels like a natural fit yeah. because it's all about making sure that community voices are brought to the mm -hmm. table. So it's been really exciting. And um, we've had a chance in this first six months to meet with all the civic groups and community leaders across the district. Uh, we've had coffee hours in every single neighborhood. Um, and we've been able to accomplish some of what we'd like to do, but I'm really excited to have another two years um, under my belt to be able to, or not under my, I should say, not under my belt yet, um, no. but I, another two years ahead to really accomplish what we mm -hmm. want to accomplish in this role. And I'm, I just, we just got our committee assignments. Right, I was going to say, well, how'd you do? What, what'd you, uh, what'd you land? So I'm the new chair of planning, development, and transportation. Mm -hmm. And for my district, which is, you know, West End, Beacon Hill, Back Bay, Fenway, and Mission Hill, uh, it, those are the core issues, development, planning, and transportation. Um, and so, but it really does have a citywide view as well, and I'm really excited to, to be taking on that role. And I'm also the vice chair of pilot um, and the chair of COVID-19 recovery. Um, so, and I'm sitting on a ton of other committees as well. So really excited about those mm. opportunities to engage. Well, I, and uh, on uh, the night, well, uh, New Year's Day and the swearing in, you know, big ceremony there. Uh, um, how have you, you, know, you uh, transitioned uh, from, you won that special election, you were kind of thrown into the mix there at, uh, and then to run uh, and win a seat uh, at, you know, for full two year term, but, uh, uh, in terms of your thinking of how you approach uh, issues, has it changed? It's been like absolutely drinking from a fire hose mm -hmm. of just work um, and excitement about mm -hmm. the issues that we get to work on. Um, so I was proud um, on Wednesday to file uh, some new hearing orders. Uh, mental health, which has been a priority throughout my campaign, uh, filed another hearing order to 
uh, talk about uh, the mental health resources available to city workers, composting, uh, filed a hearing order about expanding the composting program, and one that I'm really incredibly excited about where I'm partnering with counselor, new counselor at large, Henry Santana, and district counselor, Ben Weber, on uh, link buses and the potential for the city to run shuttle services for last mile service and outside of the normal MBTA mm -hmm. hours. Um, so it's it's just an incredible job. We get to think about so many different things and get to serve our constituents. Now, you, uh, uh, of course, uh, you have a new uh, council president. Uh, you can only serve uh, two years. Did you vote for uh, Rootsy? Oh, I was proud to be. The second she told me that she was going to run, <laughs> it was like, it, this job is made for her. She's a natural born leader. Um, and what you can feel now in the city council is just a culture of collaboration. Mm -hmm. We're all walking into each other's offices. Um, you'll see from the first hearing orders that I, I mean, I'm partnering with all of these new counselors who are excited about the same mm -hmm. things that I am, but I'm excited that I'm no longer the newest. <laughs> Four counselors newer than me That's now. That's right. So. That's it. Uh, well, uh, and you talked about collaborating. You know, that was uh, last year, that was not always the case. As a matter of fact, there was uh, some real, you know, some described it as a toxic environment uh, and uh, you know, some you know, raw feelings, I think that's fair to say, uh, amongst uh, many of the counselors. Uh, uh, does it? Does the new council have a different feel than uh, last year's? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there are, you know, like yourself and four newer counselors, uh, uh, does that make the difference? Absolutely, and um, I guess what I'm the most excited about, um, and I told you this yeah. when, when I was here before, yeah, I remember. I've, um, and I told you I was gonna treat every single counselor as like our own relationship, yeah. and, um, and you know, I, I think that this new council, it's just like there's so much excitement in the air. We're all really excited to serve the residents of Boston, and so I think for, in that respect, like um, I've, I've kind of operated the same way the last six months, um, but I've just, I can just tell you it's a breath of fresh air. It's really exciting. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to uh, this uh, uh, session and, and see what comes of the council. Of course, uh, there's a lot on the plate, uh, of course, uh, uh, not as much federal money. It could be less money come from, coming from the state, which puts some additional pressure on on uh, 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 local, you know, municipal government. And and now the city council has more uh, authority, some additional authority as far as budgeting goes. And are you thinking about what your priorities will be? Uh, I'm actually currently, and me and my staff are looking through last year's budget mm -hmm. to see what we should expect. Um, I think because we have five counselors that are new to this process, um, I can tell you that the mayor is very interested in working with the city mm -hmm. council as a former city councilor. So I know we're all mm -hmm. you know, meeting with her and we're all meeting with her team uh, to talk about the issues that matter to us. Yeah. And I think that collaborative, um, that collaborative energy has always been there with mm -hmm. this administration because the mayor understands the power of the city council. Well, and you know, you uh, of course uh, worked with uh, Mayor Wu when she was a, a councilor and in her campaign. Uh, uh, 
How about her relationship with the council? Do you think it's still as strong as it once was? Uh, well, considering that she endorsed four of us, I think that, um, and we're all in there, I was and we all say, won. She, uh, her track record was, uh, you know, very good. Of four course. for four is pretty good. Yes, yeah. I, I would say. Uh, but does that mean that uh, she will have an easier time, uh, you know, working with the council? And not that she didn't before, but uh, there were some differences. I, I guess I would just describe it as there are a lot of people with shared priorities. Mm -hmm. And I think um, and I think those are the same priorities that the residents of Boston have because they elected us just like they elected her. And that passion mm -hmm. for serving the residents is really what drives mm -hmm. what drives everything that we do in the city. So, well, I know, uh, you know, it, the election is over, but your opponent uh, was harping on in particular bike lanes. Uh, and the impact they had, not to bring up a, oh. a sore point. No, but, nothing's uh, ever sore has, uh, has the, uh, uh, the view of uh, the use of bike lanes and parking and those kinds of restrictions changed as a result of in, in your district? And do you get a sense uh, uh, anything has changed in the city as regards to you know, uh, making those changes? Everything is about balance, and um, what I can tell you is that um, I'm working just as furiously on parking as I am accessibility for pedestrians and accessibility for folks who are on two wheels. And I think um, if, if we can realize that, like, we don't always have to be in conflict in our streets, mm -hmm. I think um, I'm actually going to file a hearing order on rules of the road, which is essentially um, trying to establish sort of some some um, element of um, peace on our roadway like Courtesy, you know right? yeah getting two wheels maybe off of the sidewalks <laughs> and getting you know people their appropriate space um, so that um, you know drivers aren't afraid of running into anyone pedestrians aren't afraid of a bike hitting them I think that stuff is super important I that safety component of um, pedestrian um, you know I'm a I'm a pedestrian, I walk to City Hall, I walk back, I um, to home, I, and I think like focusing on um, making sure that, you know, the three different types of people that get around um, the city are, are doing so in yeah. a peaceful way. Yeah. What other, uh, what, uh, as a result, may, maybe not necessarily because of the campaign, but uh, uh, in your first six months of office, what have you uh, found are the biggest priorities for your district. And, well, you know I ran on quality constituent yes, services. Yes, yes. And in the last six months, I've been really proud that I feel like we are doing it. I got a text uh, this morning um, asking, um, oh no, it was actually yesterday morning, asking about um, a piece of graffiti in Mission Hill. Yeah. And it's a graffiti, um, it's a, it's a, um, Building that I have cleared already graffiti on twice <laughs> in my time in six yeah. months. It was, you know, what I would describe as a problem property. Yeah. And because the temperatures were over 50 degrees today, the solvent that they used to clear graffiti mm -hmm. was able to work today. Usually they can't clear it wow. in winter. So um, I'm sort of approaching like every single issue with that level of, um, you know, that level mm -hmm. of urgency because um, the things that our residents care about are really just responsiveness. And um, and you know and making sure that their issues are prioritized. Constituent service. I've got to ask you. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Of course, so there's been talk, and there's actually in 
in uh, the pipeline apparently uh, moves to convert uh, some of the office buildings downtown into housing. Uh, is that something you feel uh, could relieve some of the pressure from the housing crisis? Incredibly that, exciting. Yeah. It's incredibly exciting stuff. Um, I actually now represent, through redistricting, the Bullfins Triangle as of January oh, 1, which is sort of the perfect example of where we could do yeah. this type of work. Um, and there have already been two applications in my district in the West End um, for Office to Resi is what we're calling it mm -hmm. at the city yeah. level. Yeah. Um, so if we can do this, um, if we can do this urgently, it's so important that we have, you know, residential housing in our city and um, it's an urgent need. So I think the city and the administration and the city council are all approaching it really urgently. Yeah, and some, and, and, uh, some opportunities there as well. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the mayor uh, just apparently uh, uh, has uh, indicated she wants to use some city funds at least to uh, continue to make some of these bus lines free uh, free affairs and is that something you can would support absolutely i think there are three bus lines right now that right. are free um, and i think that um, we need to extend um, access to opportunity um, and um, and it helps the traffic as well people aren't waiting in line they aren't waiting to find their coins for the perfect amount yeah. of money i think it's it's important for um, for accessibility mm. in our city, for people to be able mm. to get around. What's been, we've got just uh, you know, 30 seconds, a minute left. What's been the biggest surprise for you so far, uh, making that leap from uh, working behind the scenes to uh, being in an elected office? Honestly, just how energizing it is. Yeah. I love this city, yeah. I love District 8, and I'm really proud to represent yeah. it, and I'm so happy to have another two years to do yeah. so. Well, I'm sure people are happy to have you as well. You've got a lot of new energy, and. Uh, uh, of course, uh, filling in for uh, Kenzie Bach, who I, I know you know well and uh, have worked with as well. And so it's nice to see you in uh, that position. I want to wish you the best luck. You'll come back at some oh, point. Oh, I will. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, Sharon Durkin, she is the uh, Boston City Councilor from District 8, and that includes uh, Mission Hill, Fenway, Back Bay, Beacon Hill, and the West End, yes. and parts of downtown now as well. So. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. You've been watching Talking to the Neighborhoods here on the Boston Neighborhood Network. We're here tonight and every Thursday night at the same time. We'll be back next week. Until then, for the entire staff and crew here at BNN, thanks for watching. Have a pleasant evening. Good night.
The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.